0: Welcome to Captain's Corner, a podcast about community, mission, and culture. This podcast is a ministry of the Salvation Army of Tampa, where we exist because we believe every person can be the person God has called them to be. Please check us out at tampasa.org and give us a follow on Twitter at SalArmyTampa. And of course, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. We hope you guys enjoy the episode.
1: Hi, friends. On today's podcast, we have an interview with two former professional athletes. On Super Bowl Sunday of 2020, we had them to our church and they kind of sat up on the stage and we had a little dialogue where we just shared about their professional sports career and about their faith. So, the, my guests today are Tony Umholtz and Matt Laporta. Tony Umholtz actually is a member of our advisory board here in Tampa. He played on four or five different NFL teams as a kicker. He was a punter and a place kicker. Um, He went to USF. He was on the inaugural USF football team. So I think you'll find his story very interesting. Then Matt Laporta played for the Cleveland Indians. He was a standout player at Florida where he was a two-time SEC player of the year. He took his team to the College World Series um he has several kind of like noted things about his career there about the nature of his draft picks that he'll get the where he was drafted that i think you'll find interesting he was a first round draft pick and ended up going to i believe the brewers but then was traded for cc sabathia to the cleveland indians so those are some unique things i you'll one of the things that i did when we introduced him i played some of their highlights and so just before matt got on the stage and he alludes to this in our interview questions i showed uh a video of a walk off home run he had against the Minnesota twins, so I think that'll be interesting. I think you'll enjoy this conversation. Just note that this was like not one where he sat down um, and it, the recording might not be as perfect, but we had a really great conversation with my friends Matt and tony
0: i um I was a high a high school football player you know played other sports. you know it's funny you see like all these youth now specializing in one sport so early. And uh, I just played everything: soccer, football, basketball with my friends. And uh, but soccer was the one sport I was in, you know, organized. Right. And um, you know, got into high school, had a decent arm, but they had a six foot five quarterback who ended up getting a full ride to North Carolina. So my alternate plan was to be a kicker, and uh, I could always kick the ball. Always could kick pretty hard. And and uh, then the coach said, "Hey, don't get hurt. Be our kicker. Be our punter." So um but in even in high school you know even though i had exhibited the ability to you know kick 60 plus yard field goal wow. and I could punt over 50 yards in high school i i didn't have a lot of colleges look at me you know at, at that position back then they started limiting the scholarships right and um so i had you know florida state florida had asked me to walk on but no scholarship money and at the time my family was like hey College was on you. I was the oldest in the family. Wow. I had great parents, great parents, but they just said it was on you. So uh, I ended up taking a, a full ride to a little Division II school. That was my only scholarship offer. And uh, and uh, went up there and, and, and played and then uh, ultimately transferred to USF and played on their inaugural team. Wow. So And I had to walk on there. So my journey was one of adversity and then um, probably the most impactful thing that happened to me during my journey prior to, to – the NFL was when I was 20 years old, just a few miles from here, uh, I was thrown out of a car. I was a passenger in a car. Wow. Uh, Not a lot of people know that story, but I I was actually ejected from the car. Mm. Uh, Car almost rolled on top of me. Uh, They found me unconscious, not breathing. And that was really a a catalyst for change in my life. Wow. And uh, from that moment on, I think I got one B in college from there. Wow. And uh, my senior year was an AP All-American and uh, had a chance to be a, uh, uh, you know, was a second-rated punter, kicking prospect in the draft in
1: 2000. Wow. So you you would have been at USF, the inaugural team. Does that mean you had the very first play in USF history?
0: Very first punt in USF history.
1: Wow. Interesting. Are there USF fans here? Okay, there you go. Okay. So... Well, that I'll move over to Matt too. Matt, just tell us a little about your experience before getting the pros. Make sure you turn your mic on. There it should be oh, okay. Good, good. Yeah, yeah. Both leading up to the pros, like high school and yeah. college, and
2: so similar to Tony, um, I played a lot of sports as a young kid. I you know race BMX, soccer, wow. basketball, and I slowly started learning which sports I was actually good at, and I wasn't necessarily the best athlete in the world, but. Um, That's why basketball and football slowly started fading away in my life, and baseball became that main focus. Um, And my dad, I really give him a lot of credit because he told me one day, I was in Little League, I was always the best in Little League, and he's like, hey, one day, son, all these kids are going to be better than you if you don't work hard. Wow. And that was all he ever said to me, and from that point, I was like, well, nobody's ever going to outwork me. Wow. You know, and it helped. Pushed me along uh, throughout high school and and college.
1: And tell tell about your time at Florida because it didn't start off as great as you had hoped, right?
2: Yeah, that was a difficult uh, time. You know, I always wanted to go play professionally, and I thought anybody that went to college to play sports or especially baseball was just not good enough. They're never going to make it to the big leagues anyway. So, but I ended up going to University of Florida. Kind of followed in my mom's footsteps. She she went there as well. And I was told at the time I was a catcher, and I was told that I would start uh, coming in, which is rare for a freshman. And we get there, the season starts, and I don't, I don't get the start. So, as you can understand, I was extremely frustrated and disappointed. And I mean, there was times where um, I really, I didn't even really want to go on with life because baseball was such a big part of who I was, and I felt like a complete failure to my family. Uh, my friends, and so it was an extremely difficult time. Uh, the, the really the only reason I think you know that kept me going was you know my relationship with Christ and realizing that I I need to stay in the Word. And then my wife, um, you know, we would you know she was a track athlete, she was an all American at Florida, and and we would read Bible verses together and just kind of you know she would help me out a lot. And so uh, you know, I give a lot of credit to God and her to help keeping me you know pushing me through and then so my sophomore year comes i end up starting um and i'm a, you know i led the country in home runs that year first wow. team all-american led our team to the college world series and so you know we get to the junior year where we're uh, uh everybody thinks that i'll be a top five pick and which if you know anything about baseball that's a nice pick to be in you know, sure you, get, you make quite a bit of money for a 21 year old kid um, and I got hurt and I had a terrible season. I mean, just awful. And so get, end up getting drafted in the 14th round by the, the Red Sox, uh, which was the same. I was actually three picks worse at a college than I was at a high school. So that wow. was frustrating. So you were
1: drafted after high school too, but you decided to go to college. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, was so that must have been round. really hard Yeah. in junior round. year, man.
2: Yeah, it was tough too. <laughs> so, uh. Ended up going back from my senior year, turned down a decent amount of money. But I went back really for one reason, because I don't feel like I was living a Christ-like life, my sophomore year and junior year. And, um, you know, I went back from my senior year because I remember, you know, the the Red Sox, I'll get into some of the details. The Red Sox offered me $1.2 million. And and I, I remember going into my room and getting on my knees and praying and asking God, where do you see me going? What do you want me to do? And immediately he was like, go back to college and live a life for me, you know, wow. represent me and more than baseball. And, and I did. And you end up, you know, second pick and, or seventh pick, I'm sorry. So um,
1: so you could have had $1.2 million, but you went back to a dorm room where you were piecing together, to buy pizza or something, right? <laughs> yeah. Make,
2: <laughs> making my peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Yeah. You know, I just, I felt like you, you know, it was just in God's hands, and if anything good came out of that, I would know, and everybody would know that it was only because of Jesus Christ. Right. Wow. Amen.
1: Go ahead and clap for that. That's good. Yeah. So, so you went there, and then you you got you got a better draft pick. Now, you met your wife in college too, Dara, right? Yeah. So you did you meet freshman year, and you guys dated all the way through?
2: We actually met on my recruiting trip. So okay. She's a year older than me, and uh, I came up. As a senior in high school, and, and there, you know, there was a whatever get together or something, and my host happened to be friends with Dara and that's how I gotcha. Her. But we, you know, nothing, no sparks flew or anything at that time. But
1: okay, yeah. we might. As some of you would know um, Matt's father-in-law. All there, and so it's really unique, and so I probably, probably why you're back here in Tampa. I imagine is her family's this way, right? One hundred
2: percent, why I'm back here in Tampa. I, if it was up to me, I wanted to move to Colorado. You know, being from Florida your whole life, it's flat and ocean, and which is nice. But I was like, you know, I want to see some seasons, yeah, some sure. snow. And she's like, no. It's,
1: not <laughs> it's great, but well, Tony, we need to talk about your draft experience. So, did you get? Did you end up getting drafted?
0: Well, there's not too many punters or kickers that get drafted. You know, the, the, the draft used to be 12 rounds, you know, back, I think it stopped in the mid-90s. Then it became, I, I was a 2000 draft class, so the same year as Tom Brady. He's still playing. <laughs> um, the, uh, uh, but anyway, the, the, uh, at that time it was seven rounds. I had a few teams that had graded me out pretty high. Back then, I mean, this was the first couple years of South Florida football, so I was really the first prospect that's come out, and uh, I, I just never, I'll never forget this, but this is back before a lot of cell phones and things. But my voice, I remember my senior year of college, right after I played in an All Star game. They take a lot of us and put us into like an All Star game. We play against other, you know, prospects. But I remember my my brother was my roommate at the time, my younger brother. And we'd have voicemails from the Kansas City Chiefs, Seattle Seahawks. Hey, I want to see. You know, can can you work out with me? We're going to fly the scout down. The scout. So I had about fourteen teams come down and look at me and do personal workouts with me. Wow. And um, the uh, I was rated to be drafted. There was only one punter that got drafted that year, Shane Leckler, who ended up is the all-time leading punter now in NFL history. And I was a kicker and punter, and I, I really was not a natural punter. I worked really hard at it. Um, I was a natural kicker. I could kick a ball naturally uh, pretty well. I, I didn't have to train as hard. So um, my, my, I signed as a free agent with the Tennessee Titans. I had a very, like I said, adversity would really be, I mean, for me just to get to that point was a blessing. I mean, right. God was, I always believed God had a plan in my life. I mean, from saving me and sparing me from that car accident, um, just getting me into that position, you know, it was a journey right. for me. Um, and I just felt thankful to be there. Then the, uh, then when I got to that point, you know, I spent over three and a half years, I was with really five teams, Wow. you know, so it was a, uh, kind of a volatile journey for me, but I knew I had the capability to play. And one of the things that I look back during that time, the whole paradigm of the NFL back then was fan excitement not player safety so today it's player safety right back then we kicked off from the 30 yard line so the nfl i was a kickoff specialist a holder and i punted and the balls they wouldn't let us use our old like a broken in football so that historically they let you use the same football so you would literally go in and like in warm-ups you'd have a broken in ball where the sweet spot on the ball is the size of your fist right so you're hitting it and it's the size of your fist you go in the game and they give you a K-ball and the sweet spot was the size of your thumbnail. So like when we would go out there to punt or kick, you would literally, we'd all joke about it. And if you had a 40-yard punting average and the guy that made the Pro Bowl for two years and been in the league 10 years had a 40-yard punting average, they would keep that guy back then because they knew him, right? They yeah. knew and felt comfortable. So during that four or five-year period that they, they, they did that, uh, only really one guy stuck and that was Shane Leckler, long-term. Wow. So I felt like if I got in the right position, I could have played a long time, but it just didn't didn't work out for me. And then it's funny, I got into the to the, uh, uh, the industry I'm in now, I was a finance major, and, and uh, uh, my wife and I met in 2003, and we were dating, and uh, in 2004, I had a chance to work out for some teams. My agent called and said, hey, we have a guy that's going to get drafted, would you come on out to this workout? And I was doing pretty well in my business at the time, and I punted really well. The two teams really wanted to sign me, and I would have had to go through OTAs, training camp, leave my job, leave the girl I was dating. One of the teams was the Cleveland Browns. I'm like, I don't think I want to go to Cleveland. Um, <laughs> Good choice. But uh, long story short, I closed that chapter of my life. Wow. And, it was, uh, it, and I was doing really well in my business, frankly. I was re- essentially making the same money that I would have made under my contract at the time. Contracts back then were not what they are today. So I just want to preface <laughs> wow. that. So it was not the same. But, um, uh, but long story short, the, uh, you know, it was an agonizing time for me. Ten months uh, you know, having gone through training camp all your life since you were in ninth grade and then yeah. not being a part of it. And what I loved the most about the, the, the game was just the camaraderie with your, your teammates, you know, the relationships and being a part of it. Is what yeah. I enjoyed the most. It's
1: like for ten, fifteen years, this was it. I mean, you were sure. so focused on that. Now, you did. I can't help but think about the Gate a little bit. There, is that what was like you had that, that. Now, you did have. Um, you did have a somebody pretty famous. You shirt sure, locker right next to you. Why don't you tell them about yeah. that? Yeah.
0: So I was never one to ever get an autograph in my life. You know, you just kind of a code. Matt will probably agree. We just, I, I just never really asked for an autograph. Well, Tom Brady, I was number eight in the Patriots, and number TB12 was right next to me, right? Tom Brady, number 12. So he had his locker next to me, and, and um, I always look back now. I'm like, gosh, why didn't I have him sign 500 footballs for me? You know, <laughs> I could have had my own sports memorabilia business. But, yeah. you so you meet some pretty neat people. you know. I look back, and it's been kind of cool who you get a chance to meet.
1: This episode of Captain's Corner is brought to you by WPO Development. I have a good friend, Keith Waters, who's the CEO of WPO Development, and he has a phrase he uses all the time that I have found to be very helpful, and it's this, if you don't know where you are going, any path will take you there. Isn't that true, both in our personal lives and especially in our ministries? It is critical that we all have a clear plan and a path to where we want to go Keith and his company WPO have worked with the Salvation Army and other ministries across the country and can help you develop a strong mission planning study all the way up to managing a capital campaign I'm currently working with Keith and his team here in Tampa and would urge you to contact them if you have any planning or campaign needs at info at WPO or you can just Google them and find their website as well God bless you Now I want to eventually here. I want to talk a little bit more about your testimonies too, and like where you seeing God at work through this. But Matt, tell us a little bit. I mean, you had a, that's pretty amazing. The only two time SEC Player of the Year getting to pros. Tell us a little about your pro experience, and then we'll get. And you can, feel free to lace your testimony in with that too. But I would just love to hear about what you did when you're playing pro ball.
2: Yeah. So my pro experience was uh, it was uh, it was great. It didn't go quite the way that I had hoped and anticipated, but. You know, so I get drafted in 2007, and then uh, by the Brewers, and then I get traded in 2008 um, from the Brewers to Cleve, or yeah, from the Brewers to Cleveland for CC Sabathia, um, and then you know I, I get to the big leagues in 2009. Uh, 2008, actually, we'll, we'll take a step back, and you guys saw the photo there. That was uh, from the 08 Olympics in Beijing, um, and that was a that photo was from a big room. All the USA Olympic athletes, we we. Basically, we're in this holding room until we got to walk out on this, um, you know, do the do the walk for the uh, Olympic opening ceremonies. Wow. So that was pretty neat. So, again, oh, nine, get to the big leagues, I'll make my big league debut in April and probably June ish, July. I started feeling some pain in my hip and um, long story short, by the end of the season, I had to have hip surgery to repair a torn labrum that I had in my hip. It took a lot longer to recover from than I anticipated, and, and so kind of 2010 was a you know bit of a struggling year uh, as well. And and finally 2011, I started feeling better and kind of getting back to my normal self. Um, and then 2012 came, and I had this just pain in my my hip that I just couldn't get rid of. I mean, I couldn't sleep at night. couldn't I couldn't even bend over to tie my shoe. Uh, so you know, fast forward, we, we got to have surgery again at the end of 2012, so now I've had two surgeries in three years, um, and it was just, it was extremely challenging, and the doctor was like, look, you know, you're you're probably, you're, you don't have any cartilage in there, so you're gonna have to deal with a ton of pain, and I'm like, oh, well, I can handle pain, sure. So I rehabbed all of 2013, trying to make my way back in, you know, to the big leagues, and and I just never could feel good enough uh, to to make it happen, and so, Uh, 2014, nobody picks me up. except The Orioles let me come to spring training for for a few weeks and then uh, released me. And so I was fortunate enough to go down and play in Mexico for a couple of months, which was quite the baseball experience. Um, I mean, you go from the big leagues to playing in Mexico where the the locker rooms, you've got, you know, no AC, you know, you've got no toilet stall doors oh, wow. no toilet seats <laughs> oh. you, you know cold showers um you got you got guys in the in the in the locker room and dug smoking heaters so it was it was just a totally different experience that i had but it was one that i'll never forget yeah. and it and it um what it did for me was made me realize like how blessed i was to play in the big leagues how fortunate i was because every day, you know, the, the Mexican players and us, all of us, we would sit in the locker room and what would they be watching? They would be watching a big league baseball game wow. and admiring the guys that they saw on the big leagues. Sure. And so for me, it made me extremely grateful because I know at some point they were probably watching, you know, me play. And and it just it, it was extremely humbling. Right. Um, and, and so it was a wonderful experience, even though there was some nuances to it that were quite different.
1: Sure. Matt, just stick with you for a second. Tell us a little about like, what you learned about what's important in life through all of these things.
2: Yeah. Uh, how much time do we oh, have? Oh, yeah, sure. No. <laughs> yeah, just uh, tell us the meaning of life here in <laughs> 30
1: seconds. No problem.
2: Um, so I finished baseball 2014. I've got – we just had twin sons, so now we got three kids. We, i got a total of four, but at the time it was three and it was probably the toughest decision i've ever had to make which was to quote retire from baseball the game was pushing me out just because i was couldn't help you know physically do it anymore and so I get out of baseball take about a year off actually went and worked with tony for several years i was fortunate enough to to have him give me an opportunity to come work with him and it was a great experience and i learned a tremendous amount of you know just about work and business i mean i never worked before in my life um, but the transition from the game was one of the most difficult transitions that I've had to make, I think, in life. Um, and it hits me at different times. Uh, you, you, know, I always told everybody, well, you know, baseball is what I do. It's not who I am. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm rooted in Christ and, and I think all that stuff is fun to say. And, it, and it's great to say that, but until you actually have to make that transition and move on from yeah. something that that's kind of when the rubber meets the road. And so. For the last few years, I've been, you know, it's, like I said, it's a constant battle that I deal with because, you know, I don't know if anybody turned around when that video was playing, but, I mean, I had to smile from ear to ear like, oh, my God, I missed that. I missed that time. Um, And so probably in the last, like, year and a half, I've really been getting to this point in my life where, you know, I was completely lost. I mean, I felt like I was in a dark room with no door, with no way out. Like, how do we find a way out? And the only thing I could think of to do was literally go into my closet, which was this tiny little closet. Cause at this house we were renting, um, and pray. And I mean, I was like, God, I have no idea what to do. I don't know where to go from here. And I remember getting in this closet and, and sitting for an hour every morning, um, for quite a while. And I don't say the hour to be like, oh, look at me you now. But that, that's, I needed God that much, right? And and as time went on, I stopped praying about the things that I needed and the things that I wanted. And more so, what do you want, God? Amen. What Amen. do you want out of my life? And, and that journey has taken me to a place where really... All these things in life, and, and, and it made me realize, like, we, we, built, we just built a beautiful new home. I've got four healthy kids. You, you know, business is good. My wife's business is good. Everything is great from the outside. But there was something that was still missing on the inside, even though I knew Jesus, but I didn't have this relationship with him hmm. like I wanted. Wow. And by getting in my closet, by praying on a daily basis, it, 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 that allowed me to create this this um, just relationship with Jesus where literally nothing else... And, and I, I say this, nothing else in my life matters, right? Other than my relationship with Jesus and where he wants me to go and what he wants me to do in my life, right? And, and, and I would, my prayer is that other people that hear that is that whatever they're going through, like take a, take a step back, right? And get on your knees and Amen. pray. And I'm not saying it's gonna fix everything, but I'm gonna tell you that the joy that you get from having a relationship with Jesus like that there's no greater joy. Amen. I mean, there's n- my circumstances from an outside perspective haven't changed. Everything is still great. But the difference, the one difference in my life is that I have this relationship now that, that provides me joy on a daily basis, Amen. regardless of what's going on.
1: Give him a hand. That's great. Sorry don't give you a hand or give Jesus a hand, What he's doing in your life. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's something we need to celebrate. And I, I hope we all are hearing that, you know, all the way through this, Tony, you have some similar experiences too, working with folks like where we find our identity. I mean, you guys both in the mortgage business and I know Tony, you can't tell us who it all is, but you work with some high profile people. Tell us about some of those experiences and like what's most important in life, even after the pros? Well,
0: you know, just touching on what Matt said, it's, it's absolutely true. I mean, we, we, um, I've been in the lending industry for over 17 years now and and been fortunate enough to work with all sorts of people, all walks of life. Uh, A lot of people you see on TV, whether it's sports or or Hollywood, Um, and even in my own life, I just, what Matt said, you know, the the appearances are one thing, right? You could say, oh, well, you've got it together, you're this or that. I can tell you that all the money in the world, you're just going to want more. You know, I've went through times in my life where I've been successful financially and You just want more right you just think about that and I know people that are going through that and and just because you have all this fame and fortune doesn't mean that you're going to be happy and you know you see look I mean you can look at the the newspaper today right the articles today in today's paper people that seemingly have it all and they have addiction challenges they have you know infidelity whatever it might be Um, so relationship with Jesus is really the only way and and I know that sounds cliche, but it's the truth. I mean, I see it over and over again because we get you know very intimate with what people are doing financially, and, and you see it over and over again. Um, so it's uh, no matter you know all the fame and fortune
1: doesn't mean you're gonna you're gonna be happy. Right? Yeah. Well, we hear that, and we really appreciate you guys taking time to share with us here. Is there anything else, Matt? You wanted to add anything? Any question I should have covered? Now I will say this. You know. You end up, Matt's oldest is in Georgia's class, Sienna. She's a great young lady. He's hard to compete with some of these guys, you know, in the class. And they come home and say, Georgia said, Daddy, Sienna's daddy hit a home run over the green monster. What'd you do? <laughs> oh. <laughs> so I don't know. I can't beat that one. I, I didn't play for Bill Belichick. I'm sorry there. Um, okay, let me get the last, last one in. What is your prediction for tonight? You know, we have uh, major, li- uh, a former NFL kicker here. What, what, who? Yeah, tell us. What do you, who do you think is going to happen, Tony?
0: All right. So it's going to be a close game, right? It's going to be tight. Um, I, I gotta, I gotta go with Patrick Mahomes yeah. and the Chiefs, though. So I just, it's <laughs> Andy Reid. You know, it's just, it, it's just, it's, it's a great story. Although I'm a big fan of John Lynch and what they're doing out right, there, yeah? but at the same time, I gotta go for the Chiefs.
1: All right, Matt. What do you
0: think? Yeah, I'm on that same bandwagon. I think uh, the Chiefs—they got a—they got a good offense.
1: All right. Well, let's give these guys a hand. Thank you so. Thank you guys so much. Yeah. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll get a second here, and, and don't worry, I'm not preaching a whole sermon, but I'm going to say this, I have a devotional thought for us, and we'll get the screen up here, where hopefully we'll hear what um, what what the results are of our offering, maybe by the end. I think Captain Teresa is working on counting that. So I wanted to find something that could be connected to this, and I found, of course, the great passage that comes from Second Corinthians, Christ will lead us in triumphant, procession. I think what a great idea for Super Bowl Sunday for us to think about being led in triumph, right? Well, it's interesting. As I looked into this, I found that the words for triumphal procession, it actually is a technical term. Believe it or not, it's just a technical term. It's, it refers to an institution. Similar, now, now think about this. Like what we have, what we celebrated last week in Gasparilla. Now, I didn't celebrate it. I just want you to know, as your pastor, that wasn't something I was doing. But Gasparilla is this real, like, kind of, um, societal thing. I have people who are on our board, who are on the board of the Gasparilla. They do all that type of stuff. It's a, it's a big thing, right? It's just parades, two parades. There's businesses that exist because of Gasparilla. Well, that's similar to the triumphant procession that was going on in Rome. Another way that we might think about this is like the Rose Bowl, right? In the Rose Bowl parade, they have this parade that comes through town. There's all this ceremony. Now, I imagine, let's just put our creative lens on right now, and let's imagine that the Bucks were actually in the Super Bowl, okay? Just, just imagine real briefly, okay? I know it's really hard to imagine that, but let's just imagine the Bucks are in the Super Bowl. If the Bucks beat the Kansas City Chiefs tonight, our city would likely have a parade, right? We would have a parade. The mayor would do something. There would be speeches. There would be music. It would be a big celebration. That is similar to what's going on with this triumphant procession. Just historians would tell tell us that there are more than 160 of these triumphant processions that happened in Rome. So there were like probably vendors ready to set themselves up to do this. Now this is what I learned about this triumphant procession that is wild to me, is that when they would come into town, Caesar or the emperor would march into town and it happened in a little different way than we might expect. So. The triumphant procession was like this. Now, imagine again, let's just take our Bucks analogy again. If the Bucks beat the Kansas City Chiefs, the only difference would be like this. If it was like the triumphant procession, it'd be like Patrick Mahomes and all of the Kansas City Chiefs came in and marched in front of the Bucks with their heads down, going that direction. In the triumphant procession, this is what happened in Rome Rome would go out and conquer a land they would defeat it. Then all of the people they conquered would come back to Rome, and they would march in to the city. They would march into the city ahead of the emperor, and then they would go to their death. This was what that institution was. Now, for years, this wasn't something that had been discovered by biblical archaeologists or biblical scholars, and we ended up having translations that didn't, couldn't quite grasp this idea of the triumphant procession. So for instance, the King James version says this. We'll put this up on the screen. The King James says, now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. Like they didn't quite know what to do with this word triumphant procession. But you might notice like even more contemporary translations like the NIV say something very different. Like and in some ways, this would be a great Super Bowl sermon. We're always led to triumph in Christ. But instead, this is a more accurate translation. The NIV says this, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ triumphal procession. You see the difference there? We're not just coming in in victory. Instead, what this passage is saying is that we're the conquered ones. The way up is down. The way to life is death. We then maybe understand Paul's words to say, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. We might understand the Sunday school song that we sing with smiles on our faces. It's no longer I that liveth that liveth in me. Right, well, so when we sing that song, what are we saying? You're dead. You're dead. <laughs> what do we say when we get to a place where we have the great passage of Scripture from Romans 12, one of my favorites? Therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. You're dead. We're not just led to triumph. We're led as captives. So the song that we sung earlier is one that is unique. <laughs> we sung it in an upbeat way. Jacob was doing a great job giving us a nice rock beat to that song. But we, the words that we used in that song, make me a captive Lord, try and smile through it, and then I shall be free. Force me to render up my sword, and I shall conquered be. When we sing about triumph, when we sing about these type of things, we're actually talking about dying. It goes on to say, I sink in life's alarms when by myself I stand. Imprison me. We're singing worship songs, (laughs) saying to God, Imprison me within thine arms, and strong shall be my hand. Then I want us to look just real quickly at the last verse that says this. My will is not my own till thou has made it thine. If it would reach a monarch's throne, it must its its crown resign. It only stands unbent amid the classing strife when on thy bosom it has lent and found in thee its life. I think what we heard from Tony and Matt was this. You know, they went to the highest levels of their sport. They dedicated a big portion of our life. Matt was talking to me about how he was like focused on this goal from the time he was five years old. But ultimately, to find life means that we give our lives. And we say, make me a captive, Lord. Who's captured you? Is it what matters most? Or is it money? Is it your achievements? Is it your job? Is it things that you want? Or are you willing to say, I give up myself. For if any man or woman will come after me, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for these stories of victory, victory that comes through surrender and sacrifice. Help us as we continue to try to be your people for our time, as we seek to be your captives in our world so that we can at last be free. We say all these things in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: Thank you for joining us for another episode of Captain's Corner. If you'd like to learn more about us, please feel free to check us out at tampasa.org and give us a follow on Twitter at Sal Army tampa. And of course, go ahead and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next time.